Good morning. Thank you, John. Uh, I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles or on your device to that passage that we just read, starting with 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Uh, we'll be jumping around a little bit within that passage today, but that will be our, our home base. And as you're turning there, uh, let me tell you a story. A couple of years ago, I was in Haiti with some of the guys who are in this room. And I was given the privilege of speaking on a Sunday morning there at Friendship Church of Peon, Haiti. Dr. Paul uh, runs our ministry there, and we were excited to be with him and had an opportunity to preach that Sunday morning down in Haiti. Now, I've spoken several times with someone translating my words, and so I know however much you plan, when it's translated into another language, it more than doubles the length of what you're going to say. And so I was very careful to plan a sermon that was about 20 minutes long, knowing that that would make it about 45 minutes total. I was a guest. I didn't want to just go on and on and on like I planned to do this morning down in Haiti. As I was planning, what I didn't recognize is how little people in many other cultures care about how long they're in a worship service. They don't share our American desire to get in and get out quickly. And so we had been a part of that worship service for two hours before I ever even got up to speak. I got up and I spoke for 45 minutes, and we weren't done. We kept going afterwards. All told, we were in that worship service for over three hours. And you guys, it was awesome. I can't imagine any better way to spend that Sunday morning than to spend three hours with fellow believers lifting up Jesus' name and worshiping Him together. It was an amazing experience. Because the service went as long as it did, all of us immediately began to eat lunch as soon as it was over. And as I was sitting there eating lunch, Dr. Paul approached me and he said, I've been talking to different people from the church, and they're all wondering if we could come back together for an impromptu worship service this afternoon. He's like, yeah, it was probably about 1 o'clock at that point. He's like, we're we're thinking about meeting at 4.30, and would you be willing to speak at that service? Without having any idea what I was going to speak about, of course I said, sure, I'd be happy to. And then I asked Dr. Paul, is there a particular message that would be helpful for your people? And Dr. Paul said, would you just bring a message of hope? Life is hard here. I went away by myself and began to think and pray about what I was going to say in a couple of hours when we met for this impromptu worship service. And I began to process, what, what does it look like to give these people a message of hope? Haiti's the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere. They've been living in poverty for generations and generations. Many of them live in extremely difficult circumstances that have impacted their health. On top of that, their government has been corrupt for decades and steals from the people. And I started to think, what what does a message of hope look like in this setting? Do I go to them with a message of hope that for generations you have been poor, but that is all going to change and you are going to become wealthy? Do I go to them with a message of hope that your conditions have been hard, but all of that's going to change and now your conditions are all going to be comfortable? 
Do I go with a message of hope that your government has been corrupt and has stolen from you, but all of that is going to change, and now you are going to have a government that is benevolent and fair and good like we have here in the U.S.? As I was praying and thinking, I was reminded that there is an entire book of the New Testament that is dedicated to the message of hope to those who are hurting and going through extremely difficult circumstances. Of course, that book is 1 Peter, a book written by God through the Apostle Peter to people who were hurting, who were in serious trials. Most of the people that this book is written to were living as slaves within the Roman Empire. We're at a point in history where Christians were beginning to be persecuted. And so people were being cut off from family and friends because they worshiped Jesus Christ. Many were starting to be thrown into prison for their faith. Some were being sewn into animal skins and torn apart by wild animals for the amusement of the crowds. Others were being dipped in pitch or tar and lit on fire in order to light up the emperor's gardens in the evening because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And to these people who are in these intensely hard situations, Peter writes this letter that is overflowing with hope. He's saying, guys, we got got so much hope, it abounds because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Over the course of the last year, we may have experienced new difficulties, challenging hardships. What is the message that we need in the midst of that? It's the same message that the people in Haiti needed two years ago and the same message that Peter's audience needed 2,000 years ago, the message of hope that we have in Jesus. We're not a people who gain our primary hope in wealth or politics or family. We are a people who gain our primary hope where? In our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we saw that last week as we dug into the first few verses that we have a hope because of what Jesus did. We've become a part of the family of God. And verse 4 said, as a part of that family, we have this astounding, hard-to-imagine inheritance that is ours, that is kept in heaven. But but don't worry, just because it's kept in heaven doesn't mean that there's a chance you won't get it. Because verse 5 said, God is guarding you for that inheritance. And he's guarding that inheritance for you. Who thinks God's strong enough to properly guard? Right? Absolutely. And as we looked at that amazing hope that is ours in Jesus Christ, we celebrated because of what he's done and the life that he has called us to. And now in the passage that we just read today, we see that those who have that living hope in Jesus Christ dedicate their lives to one thing above all else. There's one thing that is the aim of their life. And what is that one thing? It starts with the letter H, and it ends with holiness. Right? What is that one thing? What do we pursue? As those who have a living hope in Jesus Christ, the one great pursuit of our life is to become holy. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. What is holiness? 
Holiness is living in alignment with the character of God. Living in alignment with the character of God. God is love. So is it right to treat people with love and seek what is best for them? Or is it right to act in selfishness? Right? It's right to love. Why is it right to love? Because it's in alignment with the character of God. Love isn't right based in some sort of randomness. Love is right because it's rooted in the character of God. God is truth, so is it better to deal honestly with people or to deceive them? You, you know the answer to this, right? right? It's, it's better to be honest with people. Why? Because honesty happens to randomly be right? No, because God is truth. And all right is bound up in the character of God. Holiness is living in alignment with the character of God. God lives and acts perfectly in alignment with his character. He is 100% holy. And he has called us to be a people who are growing in holiness, living in alignment with his character. How many of you are perfect at that? No, I don't see any hands. That's great. It's wonderful. No one needs to be confronted afterwards. Okay, so what we recognize is that there is this battle going on inside of us, isn't there, between what is holy and what is unholy. And verses 14 and 15 call attention to that battle. As obedient children, do not be conformed to what? The passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. There's this battle going on inside of us between right and wrong, between what is holy and what is unholy. It's a battle that has already gone on inside of you this morning, hasn't it? Your thoughts, your words, your actions have either been chosen based in holiness or unholiness. It's a battle that's going to go on this afternoon, this evening. It is ongoing inside of us. A battle between what is holy and what is unholy. What does unholiness look like? What do these uh, passions of our former ignorance look like? Well, this passage tells us in chapter 2, verse 1, some examples, some illustrations of what unholiness is like. Look here with me at these uh, filthy five talked about in chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. What does unholiness look like? It looks like these things. Malice. What's malice? It is the desire to do harm to another. No matter what harm has been done to you, we are never to seek to harm another person. No matter what has been said about you, we are never in malice to seek to harm another person with our words. Malice is unholy. What's the second one? Deceit being dishonest. We live in a world that is filled with lies. I don't feel like I even need to illustrate that or prove that to you. We all just look around and can see that that is true. And God calls his people to be different than that because lies and dishonesty are unholy. Hypocrisy, pretending to be better than we are, putting on a mask to pretend to be better than we are, to hide wrongdoing in our own lives, or the worst expression of hypocrisy, to minimize the wrong in our own lives, instead focusing on the wrong in the lives of others. This is unholiness. 
envy, wishing that I had what you have, possessions, position, your family, whatever it is. Envy is unholy. Slander is the last one. Tearing others down with our words. To tear someone else down with your words behind their back or face to face, this is unholy. Now, you guys, this this is just a a list of examples, illustrations. You you look at Romans chapter 1, and there's a list five times this long of the kinds of things that are unholy. There's lists throughout the New Testament of behaviors that are of the flesh, sometimes they're called, or are unholy. This is just an illustration, a, a list of illustrations, but it's a good list. And if this is what unholiness looks like, it, asks, it begs the question, what does holiness look like? What does holiness look like, you guys? It looks like love. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love one another what? Earnestly from a pure heart. We, we have been saved by Jesus, declared righteous in his throne room, and he has saved us to a new life of holiness. That holiness is lived out by loving others in a way that is pure and earnest. What is pure and earnest love? It's a love that's motivated by pure motives. We don't just love someone because of what they can do for us. We don't just love someone because they love us. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, what credit is that to you, to love someone who, just because they love you? Instead, he says, love your enemy, right? Pray for those who persecute you. And we're to love from a pure heart that is motivated by our desire to love and please God. We're to love in a way that's earnest. That means sacrificially, not just conveniently or easily. Holiness looks like love. And so if that's what holiness and unholiness look like in our life, the question becomes, how can I grow in holiness? How can holiness win more of the battles within me? And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time on in this passage, is answering that question. How can holiness win more of the battles in our lives? Let me give you a few answers. The first one is this. How does holiness win the battle in me? Don't put junk in your mind. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. The Greek word here for sober-minded means to have a mind that isn't intoxicated. When we hear sober-minded, we may think, oh, that, that means serious. But it actually means more than that. It means to have a a clean mind, an unintoxicated mind. Peter here isn't talking about being sober, uh, chemical and alcohol free. right? That's dealt with other places and, and that's important, but that's not what he's dealing with here. What he's dealing with here is having a mind that isn't intoxicated, that doesn't have poisons or garbage in it. You can't feed your mind junk and expect to grow in holiness. Let me say that again. You cannot feed your mind junk and expect to grow in holiness. That's not the way it works. It's like the Holy Spirit is a master chef within us. 
And he is prepared to make an amazing meal of our life. A meal of love, joy, peace, and on and on. But the Holy Spirit creates that meal as the master chef based on the ingredients we give him with what we devote our minds to. If I hand a master chef ingredients like the finest cuts of meat, wonderful fresh vegetables, ripe sweet fruit, like fresh, really good bread, like they can make an amazing meal. But if I give a master chef ingredients like cut up old tires, dirty shoelaces, yesterday's garbage that's been sitting out on the porch, it doesn't really matter that they're a master chef because of the ingredients that I'm giving them to work with. And in that same way, it matters a great deal what we devote our mind to because those are the ingredients that we are giving to the Holy Spirit to make the meal of our life. This is why God says in Romans 12 too, that we're not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind, right? The renewing of your mind. That's why God says in Galatians chapter 6, don't be fooled, God cannot be mocked. A person will reap what they sow. If a person sows in the flesh, they will reap in the flesh. If a person sows in the Spirit, they will reap a bounty of righteousness. God has designed it so that if we want to grow in holiness, we can't feed our mind junk. That isn't the way that it works. I cannot spend my days primarily feeding my mind the anger and fear of most news programs the idolatry and impurity of some shows that you can stream, the craziness and discord and hatred of social media. I can't, I can't feed my mind primarily on those things and then expect holiness to come out somehow. That, that's not the way it works. We want to be holy. We need to remove junk from our mind. Remove the junk from our mind. Second we got to focus our mind then on God. You want to grow in holiness? It is a matter of focusing your mind. Look at the beginning of verse 13 here. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. The Greek phrase behind preparing your mind is literally gird the loins of your mind. Gird the loins of your mind. We're going to keep this family friendly, but what does gird the loins mean? In a society in which everyone wore long robes, to gird yourself was to take those robes, tuck them up, and tie them off so that you were ready for what? For hard work or for exercise. And what is it that we're told here is necessary for us to experience the hope God has for us and the holiness of living that God saved us for? It requires us to gird our minds. It's going to be effort. It's going to be work. It takes intentional focus, intentional focus on God and the things that God has for us. So what am I intentionally putting into my mind instead of the junk that the world offers? First of all, I am focusing my mind on heaven. How does holiness win the battle in me? When I focus my mind on heaven. Look at the rest of verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded 
Set your hope fully where? Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. At the revelation of Jesus Christ. Where is our hope located? Our hope is located in the future. What did we see last week in verse 4? That God has this astounding and amazing inheritance for all of his children. And where is that inheritance? It says it is kept in heaven for you. Our inheritance, our primary hope is kept in heaven at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As I said last week, this is so incredibly important for us to understand because there's such a wide variety of very popular false teachers out there this day who want to relocate the primary hope and inheritance that we have from heaven into more comfortable circumstances here on the earth. Extremely popular false teachers, hundreds of thousands of views whose primary teaching is if you just believe God is going to give you health and wealth and popularity tomorrow. I was uh, watching one of these false teachers a few weeks ago. I was on vacation and apparently had nothing better to do. And as I was watching him, he declared over his congregation, 2021 is the year of blessing. 2021 is the year of favor in your life. And then he began to go through a list of different things that we experience in life. He said, if 2020 was a year of financial hardship for you, 2021 is going to be the year of greatest financial blessing you have ever experienced. If 2020 was a year of hardship when it comes to your health, 2021 is going to be the year of greatest health and physical fitness you've ever experienced. If 2020 was a year of political loss for you, 2021 is going to be a year of political victory. And of course, everyone he was speaking to was like, yes, yes, bring it on tomorrow. Here we go. What, what is he doing? Right? He, he's selling a hope that we don't find in here. And people eat it up because it appeals to what the Bible calls itching ears. It appeals to our fleshly, worldly desires. By all means, give me health, give me wealth, give me popularity, and do so now. Then what happens when people don't experience that in 2021? Well, God's not faithful to His promises. God's not even there. What's going on? Because God didn't live up to promises that He never made, but some false teacher made on His behalf. Here are the promises that I want to declare over you for 2021. You ready for this? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, 2021 may be the year of greatest financial windfall and blessing you've ever experienced. Or 2021 may be the year that you go broke and lose everything. Or somewhere in between. 2021 may be the greatest year of health and fitness in your life, or 2021 may be the year that you are diagnosed with a terminal illness and die, or somewhere in between. 2021 may be the year 
where you experience your greatest and most intimate relationships with friends and family. Or 2021 may be the year where one of those people goes absolutely crazy and rips relationships apart in your life. Or somewhere in between. I I cannot guarantee you health and wealth and popularity because God does not guarantee those things for His exiles here on the earth. Isn't that what he called us last week in verse 1? We are exiles here on the earth, temporary sojourners. It's not supposed to be comfortable for us here. Our ultimate home is elsewhere, and we're to have a constant focus on that home that is elsewhere. I can't promise you health and wealth and popularity, but if you're a follower of Jesus, here's what I can promise you, that no matter what you go through in 2021, Jesus is going to walk through it with you. I can promise you that no matter what you go through in 2021, His Spirit is fully, fully capable of producing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control in your life, no matter what your circumstances look like. I can guarantee that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have an astounding hope that is yours that is in heaven and awaits you, no matter what you experience this year. But where are we to focus our minds if we want to grow in holiness and live fully in the hope that God has for us? We want to focus our minds on heaven. But second, we also see in this passage that we need to focus our minds on judgment. Did you notice verse 17 when we read it? And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. One key to holy living is remembering that one day we will all stand before our maker and judge and give account for how we have used our lives. And while you are saved through faith in Jesus Christ, that faith is either proven genuine or not genuine based upon your actions in life, based upon whether or not you are growing in holiness. As we say around here at Friendship Church all the time, good deeds are the evidence of a genuine faith. We're not saved by our good deeds, but our good deeds are the evidence of that faith that saves us. As Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, on that day, there's going to be all kinds of people who say, but I had faith in you. Well, how do we know if that faith was genuine in Jesus? He goes on and says, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Focusing on that day of judgment is key for us living in holiness And focusing on that judgment impacts how we live right now. I just saw this illustrated in kind of a silly way in my family's life. We were on vacation in Florida a couple of weeks ago. And while we were there, my kids were anticipating their upcoming track seasons. Both of them are in college. Both of them run for their college track teams. And they both approached it in very different ways. One of my kids, during vacation spent his time... Oh, I kind of gave away what's what here. Sorry. He spent his time looking up what those who would be his opponents were running, 
thinking about goals, seeing where his meets were going to be. My other child was doing her very best to forget that a season was going to take place. She, she was rooting so hard for COVID to cancel track this year. She, she said to me a couple of years ago as a sophomore in college, I don't like track, I just do this for the scholarship money. And she was, she was really hoping that this would never come about. Not surprisingly, one of my kids worked out every day we were in Florida. Went to track, went to the track, went to the weight room, was getting himself ready for the upcoming season. The other one didn't work out once the entire time we were in Florida. She, she actually called me last week after her first meet and said, this was such a mistake. I should have been working out this whole time. You wouldn't believe how sore I am from all the workouts that we're doing. In track, judgment comes. It comes in the practices where you run grueling workouts. It comes in the meets where you find out how you do against your fellow competitors. Judgment comes. And the one who kept in mind that judgment was coming lived very differently while we were in Florida. In that same sense, God calls us to regularly remind ourselves, judgment's coming. And he's going to ask all of us to give an account for how we have stewarded what he has given to us. Not only are our good deeds the every time evidence of a genuine faith in Jesus, but God says we will also be rewarded for good stewardship when we stand before him at the judgment. I really don't have time to go down this road as thoroughly as it should be explored, but so many Christians have this socialist view of heaven. We all live very different lives here on the earth, but we're all rewarded exactly the same when we get there. But in fact, the Bible teaches something very different than that. That we will all enter heaven based only on the grace of God and through faith in Him. But that once there, God will reward us based on the lives we have lived here on this earth. That we can store up treasure, store up reward, store up crowns, and on and on that will be a part of our heavenly experience. And so we focus our minds constantly on the coming judgment. How, how, do we, how does holiness win the battle in me? With a mind focused on judgment. Finally, how does holiness win the battle in me? By focusing my mind on Jesus' sacrifice. By focusing my mind on Jesus' sacrifice. Listen to verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with the perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Let me just read the next couple of verses. They're not up on the screen, but it says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. What a difference it makes in how we live our life when we recognize the great sacrifice that Jesus has made on our behalf. When I was in college, one year I lived with two roommates that approached school in very different ways. One of them, let's call him Chuck, was diligent. 
Every evening, he was reading, he was writing, he was devoting himself to his studies. My other roommate, let's call him Jay, he, he was less than diligent. A lot less than diligent. Sometimes he'd stay up, but never to study. He'd stay up to watch the late edition of Sports Center, or some days he'd stay up to go out and party, but he was not diligent about his studies in any way. And one day, Jay asked Chuck, how is it that you are so determined? How is it that you're so diligent about your studies? And Chuck told Jay, it's because as I go through week after week here at this school, I can't help but remember the extra hours that my dad is putting in at his work in order to help me go here. And the job that my mom took on in order to help pay for my school. And when I think about the sacrifice that they're making in order for me to be here, I can't help but be diligent about my studies because of what they've done in order to make this possible. Jay didn't understand that. He came from a very different family. His dad had actually paid for all four years of college in his first year. It wasn't a lot of sacrifice involved for his family in what he was doing. And the difference in how they approached school each and every day was greatly impacted by how they understood the sacrifice of those who were close to them in order to make this possible. In that same way as believers, our attention is to be called each and every day to the sacrifice that Jesus has made on our behalf in order to make life in his family possible. And as we see that sacrifice, it changes us and motivates us when it comes to the issue of holiness. We're to focus our minds on Jesus Christ. We don't put, you want to grow in holiness, we don't put junk in our mind. Instead, we focus our mind on heaven. We focus our mind on judgment. We, we focus our mind on, on, the, uh, on Christ's sacrifice. How do we do that? How do I get my mind focused on those things? Well, that's really where the last couple of verses come in. I want to focus my mind on God instead of on what the world wants me to focus on. I've got to dig into the Word. I've got to dig into the Word. After talking about how the Word of God will never fade away, Peter writes at the beginning of chapter 2, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If a person has tasted that the Lord is good, you'll notice he doesn't say since you have tasted. He says, this is up for debate. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Have you experienced that living hope? If you have, then you crave the pure spiritual milk of the Word of God. This is how we grow in holiness, by digging into the Word and saturating our life with what it has to say to us. The word here, crave, right? the picture that he is painting for us is of a baby that is craving or longing for its mom's milk. Have you ever seen that? Or seen a group of animals craving or longing for mom's milk? What does that look like? With animals, they like climb over the top of each other in order to get there. With human babies, they'll, they'll scream and throw amazing fits 
in order to get what they want more than anything, they'll interrupt sermons sometimes, right? Because they want, they crave that, that milk. And Peter says, that's, that's the picture of you guys with the food that God has given to us, that intense craving. And when we saturate our lives, our minds with the word of God, it keeps us thinking about the things of heaven rather than the things of earth about judgment. It keeps us thinking about what Christ has done on our behalf and provides for us the motivation that we need in order to live the holy life that God has called all of us to. I want to invite all of you to just bow your heads with me for a second. Do you want to grow more in holiness? Are you one of God's children that has that living hope that seeks holiness above all other things. What does digging in deep to his word look like for you this week? What does intentionally focusing your mind with effort on the things of God look like this week? Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the astounding living hope that you have given to us by the work of Jesus Christ that has made us children with this eternal inheritance that is ours, that you are guarding us for. We are so thankful for that. We're thankful that you have chosen us, set us apart for holy living so that we might be righteous, that we might be Christ-like. We recognize the battle in our life. We repent of those things that we see before our eyes and in our mind right now that have fallen short of holiness. We we repent of those things. We confess them to you. And we recognize your full forgiveness that is available on the cross, that you declare us to be clean when we confess and repent our sins before you. God, having recognized your forgiveness, we pray that you would help us to go from here and sin no more. Lord, work holiness more and more into our lives this day. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.